If you have your Bible this morning, I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Proverbs, chapter 22. Today we come to message number four in our five-message series on the family. Uh, So I want to give you just a preview of what we're going to talk about next week. Uh, We've been talking about marriage. Today we're going to talk about parenting. All of that is important. The Bible has much to say about those topics. But next week we're going to wrap this up by talking about something Uh, that I think will be both a blessing and a conviction for every single person. And whether you are older or younger, whether your family is uh, husband and wife and two or three kids and a puppy dog, or uh, you are single and never to be married or single and yet to be married, everybody needs to be here next week. Uh, If you have some friends or some family members and you've been waiting for the perfect Sunday to invite them to church, I hope you will invite them next week. Uh, Like I said, it's going to be an encouraging message next week, but it'll also be convicting. It'll be uh, maybe the most disturbing, (laughs) but the most comforting message that uh, you'll hear from me all year long. And uh, maybe that doesn't tell you much, but I hope you'll be here and invite somebody to come and join you. I am very much looking forward to next week. Well, today we're going to focus on parenting, and parenting, I believe, is the most difficult job that God has ever assigned. Uh, It's difficult because just of the world that we live in, there has never been a time when it has been more difficult to raise children, godly, mature, uh, passionately in love with Jesus' children than it is right now. I think it's difficult because of the foolishness that the Bible says is bound up into the hearts of children. And that's uh, always been true. It is still true. And that makes it difficult. But I think parenting is so stressful simply because of what is at stake. There's so many things that we can get wrong in life and it'll be okay, but we must get parenting right or we will suffer uh, the difficulties of that for many, many years. And so today we're going to focus on what God's word has to say about parenting. Before I had teenagers... Uh, I preached on parenting all the time. (laughs) And listen, I was good at it. Uh, Now that my kids have gotten a little older and maybe I've gotten a little wiser, I've discovered that I'm not near as smart as I thought. And uh, I have great and and wonderful kids. I'm very proud of them. But parenting is tough. Uh, I can remember back when I was a youth minister about 600 years ago, uh, I had no children. I was not married. And I had the audacity, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, I had the audacity to do parenting conferences. Now, here's the amazing thing, people came and they took notes. And I have probably messed up more young families through that than anything else I've ever done. But the Bible gives great clarity to parenting and so that's where we turn this morning. There's so much, and we're going to skip through the Bible today. This is going to be more of a, of a survey of what the Bible has to say about parenting than just knuckling down on one or two verses. But I want us to begin together in Proverbs 22, verse 6. This is page 575, if you're using one of the Bibles in the rack in front of you. And I want us to read together just one verse, an important verse about parenting. And so let's give special attention and honor to God's Word, and let me ask you to stand. One verse we will read together. Look with me at verse 6. The the writer says, Start a youth out on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. This 
is God's word. Please be seated. You know, that verse all by itself is encouraging and convicting. Uh, it gives us comfort and stress. It tells us that if we will point our children in the right direction, uh, we'll point them in a godly direction that in time, even if they stray, they'll come back home and we can take great encouragement from that. But, but it's also a stress-inducing verse because it tells us that in many ways the onus is on us, that parents have the responsibility of pointing their kids in the right direction. That means there are some things we must get right. And so I want to share with you two truths that I think every parent, every grandparent ought to know. And I want to share with you three tools that we can use to bring these truths to bear in our families. So truth number one, what truths do we need to know? Truth number one is this, parents, you need Jesus. You need Jesus. This parenting task is impossible. You need Jesus on your side. You need the kind of help that comes from heaven if you're going to be successful at the task of parenting. There are several reasons why. First is, we have no idea what we're doing. You ever thought about that? This is the greatest task I've ever been assigned, but there wasn't a class. My kids didn't come with an instruction manual. I've not been certified. I've not been licensed. We just get kids and we just do our best. This is an impossible task and we are so unqualified, we need Jesus. Secondly, we need Jesus because it seems like we have such a, a small impact on the real direction in their lives. I mean, you think about how much time our kids spend watching television. They spend way more time watching television than they do listening to their parents. And so television all by itself has a, has a outsized influence on their lives. And then we come to the most critical moments in life when they're forming their worldview and their values and we send them to school, we put them in sports, uh, they're involved in all kinds of activities. And so then we give teachers and coaches and friends uh, an even greater influence in their lives. And sometimes those people have the same values that we have, but sometimes they do not. It's a difficult task. We need Jesus because sometimes it seems like we just don't have enough influence over our children. It's like being on a cruise ship and it's sailing through open waters and you try to steer the cruise ship by blowing into the wind. That's how we feel sometimes as parents, that we don't really have enough influence in their lives. And we need Jesus because kids have inherited a streak of foolishness and selfishness and rebellion uh, mostly from their moms, but some, in, in part from their dads. Uh, Proverbs twenty-two fifteen says, foolishness is bound to the heart of a youth. And that's true of every, of every child to some extent or the other. We need Jesus. So with, these, with this daunting challenge, what, what is the best strategy for parenting? I'll tell you the best strategy is to get on our knees and pray. That's your only hope, mom and dad. That's your best chord that you can play. That's your strongest tool. You need to pray. If we're going to be successful parents, we need Jesus to help in our parenting. There's no formula. There's no technique. There's no guarantee that if we do this, this, and this, that our kids will turn out godly and uh, 
uh, with, a, with a passion and a mature uh, spiritual development. There, there, there's just no formula for that. You, you think about God the Father, he is the perfect father. Yet one-third of his angels rebelled, and the only two people he directly created turned against him Listen, if there were a formula, God would have given it to us. I think sometimes we put way too much emphasis on the technique, even biblical techniques, and those are important. We're going to talk about some of those this morning, but we put way too much emphasis on those and we forget that the best parenting or the best grandparenting that we can do is on our knees, on our knees. So truth number one you need Jesus. Truth number two, your kids need Jesus. Your kids need Jesus. I read a book this week that that I recommend to you. It's by Paul David Tripp. It's a short book. You can read it just in one sitting. Uh, It's called Parenting 14 Gospel Principles That Can Radically Change Your Family. I wish I would have read this 20 years ago. Uh, it's, a, it's an excellent book. Well, you get to chapter three in the book, and here's the thesis of that chapter. It, it, it's this. Your children need God's law, but you cannot ask the law to do what only grace can accomplish. Now, let me tell you what that means. Our kids need rules, and they need discipline, and they need order, and they need structure, certainly. They need those things. Parents, it's your responsibility to add those things to their lives. But if we could could make our children uh, have a right relationship with God, if we could make them mature and spiritual and godly just by enforcing rules, then there would have been no need for Jesus to come. Do you see that? I mean, if if our kids could just turn out to be lovers of God the rest of their lives because we applied the right list of rules, then there would have been no reason for Jesus to come. The Old Testament, we see the law, and in the law we have all of the right rules, but it was still necessary for Jesus to come and to forgive sin and to send the Holy Spirit to change hearts. Rules won't ultimately change hearts. Jesus changes hearts. Our goal as parents cannot be that we will raise well-adjusted, disciplined, smart, or strong kids. I mean, all those things are good, but that can't be our goal. Our goal can't be uh, that they will be successful in business, career, or finances, as valuable as those things would be. Our goal is to raise children who are saved, who have a passion for God, who have a passion for God's word, who have the Holy Spirit dwelling within them to lead and guide and convict and direct. Our goal is to raise godly children. And so the two most important truths that I can come up with in Scripture is that, parents, you need Jesus, so pray. Do your best parenting on your needs. And your kids need Jesus. Know that the most important thing you can do for them is to give them your faith. You know, we think of ourselves as parents, we think of ourselves as guides for our children. I'm a guide to help them get through the you know, the early stages of life to make decisions, to have the right values. We think of ourselves as guides. And, and that's, not, that's not a bad thing. But I think more appropriately, we ought to think of ourselves as ambassadors. So, so I'm not so much a guide for my children as I am an, an, I am an ambassador from God to my children. 
My goal is not so much to guide them as it is to bring the good news of Jesus Christ into their lives. The Holy Spirit will be their guide if we can get Jesus in their lives. Parents, you can't live with your kids forever. Even if you could put them in a box and, and, uh, and, and somehow direct everything that they do and experience for the first 18 years of their life, eventually they're going to leave. And you're not going to be the guide that you would like to be. It's the Holy Spirit who will be the guide. Our goal is to get them Jesus. And so those are the two truths. Now, with that in mind, let me give you some tools. Now, it would have been easier just to jump into the tools because that's probably what you're more interested in. If you're a parent, especially a parent of a young person, you want some tools, you want some techniques. But here's why we didn't just start with that. Because the tools have no value without the truths. The tools are not going to be effective if you're not praying for your children. The tools are not in themselves going to be the technique that's going to win your children if you're not leaning on Jesus and, and praying and, and seeking wisdom from God and seeking God's hand to move in their lives. And, and the tools aren't going to raise godly children if they don't have Jesus. First, it's the truths. You need Jesus. They need Jesus. And when those are the things that you hang your parenting upon, then the tools will be valuable. So let me share with you three tools. Tool number one is time. Time. The best tool, one of the best tools you have as a parent is the time that you can spend with your children. Now let me read a familiar passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is sort of the parenting passage, and so many people have heard this. Uh, you may be very familiar with these four verses. Uh, but the scripture says this, these words I'm giving you today, they are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Now, have you heard those verses before? And ordinarily when we read and teach those verses, we talk about the fact that those verses are telling parents and grandparents that it's your responsibility to teach your children the word of God. And that's true. That is a right way to teach and preach that passage. But as I was studying it this week, I really see something in addition to that. And I want to read back through the passage in a moment. And I, and I want you to think as I read it again, what kind of time is required to do the things that are commanded in this passage? I think what you'll see is that this passage, while it does tell us to teach God's word to our children, what it's really telling us to do is we need to spend a lot of time with our children. So let me read it again. He says, these words I'm giving you today are to be on your heart. Repeat them to your children. Now, what do you have to do to repeat them to your children? You have to spend time with your children. It says, talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road. That says, I need to spend time with my children in my house, and I need to spend time with my children along the road. He says, when you lie down and when you get up. Now, they thought of their days differently than we do. The end of the day was sunset, and the beginning of the day was night. And so that's why he says it funny here, but in, in, in our way of thinking about things, this says that you, you ought to teach them to your children from early in the morning to late at night. That again means we need to spend time with our kids from early in the morning to late at night. Then he goes on to say, bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. That, that means that they ought to be such a part of who you are that when you spend time with your children, 
those values will be clearly communicated to your children because that's who you are. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. Let these things characterize the relationship you have with your children. Listen, parents, grandparents, we have to spend time with our children. Think about all of the things that are giving our children time. Uh, television sitcoms are giving children our, their time. Uh, television dramas, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, friends. And sometimes those, well, not sometimes, all the time, those things that are giving time to our children, they have a value system. They have a worldview. And that is rubbing off on our children. And if our children are spending time with those things and not spending time with us, then the values and the worldviews that our children embrace will come from those things, not from us. Have you ever maybe sat in an outdoor chair in your, you know, a lot of times our chairs that we have on our decks or on our patios will have, um, uh, they're not cushioned on the armrest. They'll have a wicker type armrest or something. Have you ever sat outside for an hour or two and just relaxed and left your arm, you know, leaned up against the, the armrest of those outdoor chairs? And then you lift your arm up and what do you discover? You know, just right there under your arm, what do you discover? That your skin has taken the texture of that armrest. Isn't that odd? Now, how did that happen? It didn't happen just because you leaned against it for a moment or even for four or five minutes. It happened because your arm was there for a long period of time. And over time, the longer your arm is there, the deeper that uh, impression is in your skin. Well, the same thing is true with your children. The longer you spend with them, the more time you spend with them, the deeper the impression is of your values and your worldview on the life of your child. Uh, the closer, here's how I wrote it in my notes, the closer you are, the better parent you will be. Uh, I don't know if you're a bowler. Do we have a lot of bowlers in, uh, in, in Nacogdoches? I don't think it's a big thing here. It was a really big thing in Ohio where I lived. Everybody went bowling. I'm not, I'm not really a bowler. But if you are, I know the secret. Uh, I can tell you how to bowl a 300 perfect game every time. Would you like to know that? Here's how you can always bowl a perfect game. Just I mean, don't, are you, you just well, on the edge of your seat, right? <laughs> if you want to bowl a perfect game, just get closer to the pins. <laughs> Ever thought about that? I mean, the reason why bowling is so hard is because we stand so far away from the pins. If you just get closer, it would be easier. In fact, if you got right up over the pins and you just took the ball and just sort of moved it around in a circle, you'd get them every single time. The further you are away, the more it introduces error into the, into the game. Same thing is true for parents. The further you are away from your kids, the more error so that your kids will not embrace your values and your worldview, the more errors introduced. But the closer you are to your kids, the more time you spend, uh, the bigger an impact uh, that you can have on their values and on their, on their worldview. Sometimes 
I'll have a parent say to me, I just wish my kids would obey the rules. You ever thought that as a parent? I just wish they'd obey the rules. Obey the rules at home and obey the rules at school. I just wish they would follow the rules. Well, they should follow the rules. But I heard Josh McDowell, do you know who that is? And years ago, he was a, a big youth speaker and apologist. And, and he wrote a lot of books. And, and back in the day, I would read all of his books. And one of the things that he would get in almost every book he wrote was this. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. And that is just sort of stuck in my mind for decades. Rules without relationships lead to rebellion. Moms and dads, you need to parent with rules. Kids need rules. But those rules need to be accompanied by relationships. You, you can't just send the rules from afar. You can't just be the rule giver at a distance. You give rules, but let the rules be accompanied by a close relationship that comes through time. And so the first tool that we have, once we know that we need Jesus and they need Jesus, we have the tool of time. Secondly, we have the tool of discipline. Discipline. Let me show you a couple of verses from Proverbs. Proverbs 29, 17, discipline your child and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. Um, just let that sink in. Parents, you want to have more fun? Discipline your children. That's what it says. And then Proverbs 23, 13 is uh, just a classic verse. Uh, Don't withhold discipline from a youth, for if you punish him with the rod, he will not die. <laughs> Listen, discipline's an important part of effective parenting. But there are two things that we must do in order for discipline to be effective. And let me tell you those things. They're, they're straight from Scripture. First of all, our discipline must be corrective, corrective. Proverbs 29, 15, a rod of correction imparts wisdom. Discipline should be corrective, not punitive. It should be about learning, not suffering. Uh, you, when you discipline, you're, you're not trying to vent your anger and you're not trying to make them suffer for what they've done. You're trying to teach them a lesson. And if discipline is corrective, as it says here in Proverbs 29, 15, then discipline will be a great tool. Well, how do we make sure our discipline is corrective? Well, I think first of all, we have to be calm. Mom and dad, if you're losing your temper as you're applying discipline, then that's not corrective. That's vengeance, okay? That's anger. That's wrath. And so be calm. Number two, be measured. Uh, no abuse, of course, no abuse. Uh, we, we need to be measured. We're trying to teach a lesson. We're not trying to uh, bring some punitive damage to their life. And then finally, be instructive. Your kids should know why they are receiving discipline. And uh, they need to know how they can not receive the same kind of discipline for the same reasons again. So, because we're trying to accomplish three things. First of all, we're trying to teach them the authority principle. Listen to this. Children must learn to live subject to the authorities in their lives. Kids who don't learn to submit to their parents' authority won't ever learn to submit to the authority of God. If you can't submit to the authority of your parents who you see and whose discipline is immediate, then you will never as an adult learn to submit to God's authority. Parents, it's not just about you. It's not just about getting the dishes done. It's not just about getting the socks picked up that you're exercising authority. 
It's that this is the laboratory. Your family is the laboratory where they're going to learn or not learn to live under the authority of God when they're away from your home. We have to teach them this authority principle. So we should fight authority battles early. When the consequences are, 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 are smaller, uh, we, we must teach our children that they have been born into a world where there are authorities. All of us are under authority. We have bosses. We have, we have law enforcement officials. We have the IRS. We have God. And so we need to learn this principle of authority and kids need to learn that they live in a world where God has set up authorities while they're young and while it's easy. And so when you are battling with your three-year-old daughter about whether or not she's going to eat her English peas, okay, this is, she is not resisting because she has done a, a thorough and exhaustive study of the nutrients in English peas, and she has decided that those are not necessary for a three-year-old girl to grow up. No, she is saying, I will be my own authority. And parents, you've got to communicate to her that she will not be her own authority. It's not about the peas. It's about authority. Kids have to learn authority when they're young, or they likely will never learn uh, the authority principle. Secondly, we're trying to teach them the boundary principle. Children must learn to live within certain boundaries. You know, there are moral boundaries. There are marital boundaries. There are safety boundaries, legal boundaries, and and, and if, if as an adult, I don't know how to live within the boundaries, my life is going to be a mess. Well, where do you learn to live within the boundaries? You learn it from your parents. There need to be firm, clear boundaries. And those kids need to learn, your kids need to learn those boundaries at home. And then number three, the consequences principle. Children must learn there are consequences to choices and actions. You know, I think one of the worst things a parent can do is to rescue their children from consequences. Uh, I can remember as a, as a youth pastor, I would have young people uh, who would come to me and they'd be in trouble and they were going to suffer consequences. And we would go together and tell their parents. And so many times I just, my heart would sink as I would see their parents uh, scramble to figure out a way to remove the consequences from their children's actions. There are consequences when we break laws. There are consequences when we don't follow the rules. There are consequences when we go outside the boundaries. And it's better to learn those when you're young than to suffer because you didn't learn those when you are old. And so we need to discipline. And our discipline, if it's going to be effective, has to be corrective, not punitive. But then secondly, it needs to be consistent. It needs to be consistent. Uh, Proverbs 13, 24 says this, the one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently, or you could say consistently. And so the parent who won't be consistent in discipline, the Bible says you, you, you don't, you're not really expressing love to your child, but we need to be diligent and consistent in our, in our, in our discipline. Uh, let, let, me, let me show you some signs that there's no consistency uh, number one, sometimes, if this is your discipline system, if sometimes breaking this rule merits discipline and sometimes it does not, that's inconsistent, right? Kids can't learn. Well, last time I did that, there weren't any consequences. And so why are there consequences now? No, it needs to be consistent. If there are consequences, there are consequences. Secondly, uh, when a parent says they're going to discipline and they don't, what are we teaching our kids? 
If we say, listen, if you do that, then this is going to happen. And they do it and it doesn't happen. We're teaching them that in the end, there really are not any consequences to breaking the rules. And that's inconsistent discipline. Or, and this is my favorite one, and I'm sure I will offend somebody, but I do so innocently. Uh, To tell our children, you don't really have to obey me until I get to three. Have you ever seen this? I, I like to see this at uh, Walmart. I, I, in fact, I look for it. And I always pause because I want to watch how it plays out. So you hear the mom uh, telling the child to quit throwing a tantrum or hitting uh, his sister on the head with a plastic baseball bat. And, and so the parent will say, stop. Don't make me count to three. And then they start counting. One. And, you know, the kid's still going hard as he can. Two. And, you know, and, and I'm stopping. I mean, I love this. So... I'm stopping. I'm just waiting to see what happens. So I can tell you, I've done just a little informal study. Uh, If a parent says, don't make me count to three, they always count. Okay. I've never, I've never seen, don't make me count to three and the kids, okay, then then don't. Uh, So the, the parents always count. Only about half the time do they get to three, but it's never because the kid stops. So, So some of the parents will say one, two, and then before they get to three, they just change tactics. Okay, I'll buy you that if you'll stop. And so they just never get to three. Some of them do get to three, but it never has any impact on the behavior of the child. Now, what are you saying if you count to three? Well, we're just talking about consistency. You're saying you don't have to obey me when I tell you to do it. You don't have to obey me when I get to one. You don't have to obey me when I get to two. And really, you don't even have to obey me when I get to three because then I'm just going to offer some other incentive for you to do what I've asked you to do. Parents, we just need to be consistent. We need to tell our children what the rules are, and then there need to be consequences, calm, measured consequences if they do not, so that our kids can learn authority, boundary, and consequences. I was pastoring a church, was in an association of several other churches, and there was a director of this association that sent us letters all the time. The association had a lot of events going on, and so I would get, his name was Sid. Sid would send out so many letters, some weeks I would get five letters. Some weeks I'd get more than that. You'd get more than one letter a day from this guy. Well, listen, I'm a busy person. You send me five letters a week, I will read exactly none of those. And so so this uh, this guy just sent out letters all the time. Every every time the mail ran, there would be a letter from him. And, And so somehow he got word that none of the pastors were reading this giant stack of mail he was sending out every week. And I remember we were in a, in a meeting and he was trying to get us to read his mail. And here's what he said. He said, guys, what I'm going to do is if it's important, I'm going to put a red check mark on the envelope. Now you're thinking what I'm thinking. Well, if it's not important, then how about just don't send it, okay? Then we don't put a red check mark. So, so now, I, I even told my secretary, if it doesn't have a red check mark, you throw it away. If it has one, I'll throw it away. <laughs> Either way, it got thrown away. But, but you know, so, so we do that with our kids. We, we say things that we don't really mean. If it's not important, parents don't say it. If it is, let's be consistent and stick with it. Discipline, along with time, is a great tool for parenting. Uh, Well, number three, pattern. Pattern. As children mature, especially into their teens, they look for patterns, for role models, and for examples. We need to provide those for them. I remember as a teenager hiking the Odom Scout Trail in in Cheehaw State Park in Alabama. It was uh, was a trail that um, 
went over a mountain, started low, went over a mountain, the largest mountain in Alabama, which is not saying a lot, but it, it was a mountain. And so it's seven or eight miles to get up and then back down the other side. And so me and some friends were hiking this trail. And we got about halfway, I suppose about halfway, and uh, we, we, we stopped, we got off the trail a little bit, and we were, I don't know, chasing something around, or we may have stopped and had uh, started a little fire and, 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 had, um, and cooked some food or something, but, but we stopped for an hour or two, about halfway through the trail. But then we saw, when you get up on top of this mountain, it seems like you could see forever, uh, we saw a storm coming. Uh, this was back before you had a cell phone so you could check the radar. Uh, so we saw a storm coming. We didn't know. And uh, it looked like a terrible storm. It may have just been because, you know, when you look at that height, the storms look much worse. But it, it, it frightened us. And so we knew we had to get off the mountain quickly. We could see it approaching. And uh, it was a long hike to get off the mountain. We didn't want to get stuck up there. And so we started. I can distinctly remember this. We, we were going to get back on the trail. We couldn't find it. Uh, we had been off of it for an hour or so. We didn't even know which direction it was. And so we were running here or there. And you couldn't just, this was a big state park. You couldn't just start walking. Uh, you, you had to go down the trail. And so we looked and looked and looked until finally one person sort of stumbled across this well-worn path through the woods. And we knew we had found the trail. And you know, that did two things for us. It brought us comfort we're not going to die on the mountain. And it gave us direction when you had to get down. Now, moms and dads, listen, your kids are going to get lost in the woods. I don't know if it'll happen in high school or it'll happen in college or, 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 or after college when they're just starting, starting out in life or maybe a new family. Probably happened more than once. Your kids are going to get lost in the woods and a storm's going to come. And they're not going to know what to do. And at that point, your greatest prayer is going to be that they will stumble across a well-worn path. I mean, that they will remember back to their childhood and some things that they saw their parents do over and over and over. And that they will stumble across one of those well-worn paths that will give them comfort and direction to get free of the storm that they're certainly going to face. Parents, it takes a long time to wear a path in the forest, but let me give you some paths that you need to, that you need to mark out. They need to be able to find a well-worn path to church. I want my kids to know that mom and dad have been committed to church all of our lives and that we go to church. That's just what we do on Sunday. Not just because I'm the pastor, but we go uh, on vacation. We generally, not every time, but we generally go to church on Sunday. I want my kids to know, I want them to be able to see that well-worn path because when they get lost in the woods as a young adult and they don't know which way to turn and they're, and they're fearful, I want them to stumble across that path and I want them to gain comfort and direction from that path that has been worn into their lives and I want them to, I want them to run to church. We need to give our kids a well-worn path to the word of God. Our kids need to know that we love the word, that we read the word, that we study the word 
And so that when they, when they get lost in the woods and don't know where to turn, they will find that well-worn path. I mean, not just a short time, but they'll be able to remember back that for years their parents had a commitment to the Word. And they will find that well-worn path, and it'll give them comfort and direction as they turn to the Word. We need to give them a well-worn path to prayer. They need to know that when their parents were at the end of their rope, that they prayed. When their parents were discouraged, that they prayed. When their parents were depressed, they prayed. When their parents had obstacles, that they prayed. And I want my kids to see that well-worn path that when they get lost in the woods, they'll pray. And we need to give them a well-worn path to genuine sacrifice and service. See, the things that give real meaning to life are not the things the world chases after. You know that. It's, it's found in service. It's found in sacrifice. It's not the things that you experience. It's the things that you sacrifice for that gives your life purpose. And, and we need to show our kids. We need to take them on mission trips. They need to see us going on mission trips. We need to be faithful to give. We, we need to do these things so that we, 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 we show them this well-worn path of sacrifice and service so that when they're lost in the woods, they will turn to the same thing. We have some tools, some good tools. And if, we, if we're leaning on Jesus and pointing our kids to Jesus, and we will give them time, we will give them discipline according to scripture and give them some well-worn paths, then that'll serve them for the rest of their lives. Listen, I'm not a poetry kind of person, uh, but I, I read a poem recently that I thought I'd just close with. So listen to this. The writer says, there are dreams I have that I would like to see come true. Things I'd like to accomplish before my working time is through. But the task that my heart is set on is to guide a little lad and to make myself successful as that little fellow's dad. Oh, I may not gather riches and I may never gather gold, and men may count me a failure where my business life is told. But if he who follows after will be godly, then I will be glad. Because I'll know that I've been successful as that little fellow's dad. Your head bowed and eyes closed. Father, uh, you have given us, uh, many of us, uh, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren, I pray that we'll see those children as, as our greatest task, as, as one of our greatest responsibilities. Fathers, others uh, may not have children of their own, but they have children in their families, their extended families, and they have children uh, over which they have some influence. Father, all of us need to have godly impact in the lives of young people. And so teach us to lean on you, to point them to you and to use the tools you've given us that they might grow up and be godly men and godly women who can do the same for the kids you've put in their lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Mm -hmm.